0: You ready? You ready? All right. Hold on. Here we go.
1: From the newsroom of the Bryan College Station Eagle, this is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle over there, Alex Miller, also of the Eagle, as usual. We're here on a very uh, ridiculous, very crazy day in College Station. I get a a phone call from young (laughs) Alex Miller over here at 9... 23 <laughs> or something like that this morning. I was out covering golf all day yesterday. The Aggie golf team had to check pages last night, which is a well into the early Hours of the morning job here at the Eagle, so I was I was getting my beauty rest uh, at that time, and quickly had to throw on a shirt, wash my hair, get to Kyle Field because Jimbo Fisher was having an impromptu press conference to uh, detail and and break down and talked about a little bit of what Nick Saban had to say last night at uh, a, a charity event in Birmingham, where he said that A and M quote bought their entire roster, end quote. So let's hear about a little bit about what Jimbo Fisher had to say about that in his introductory statement of that press conference in Kyle Field today.
2: Uh, yes, I would. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organization. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. They're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws that, they're, that they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and it's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top, and the parody in college football he's been talking about, Go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you've got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families and Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we've got to sit there at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids, and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy, that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past, or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it, and it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to sit up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it's and it, and it, personal to us. Yes, it is. It's personal to A&M. It's personal to our players. It's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. I know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I, and I hate it. For our players who are coming here who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way. I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it. And our fans, I I, I apologize to you guys for people saying those things about Texas A&M. I promise you this. There are no no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is.
0: Well, Travis, certainly uh, a, a strong accusation from Nick Saban last night, but even maybe a stronger rebuttal from Jimbo Fisher this morning. What'd you make of all of the comments that that Jimbo said cuz he did not hold back.
1: He really didn't. Uh and you know we were talking about this a little bit before we all got started here and and you kind of said Jimbo's had some fiery um rebuttals in his time so far at A&M when it talked when it was talking about maybe taking the LSU job or the first time he defended this 2022 signing class. Um and it was emotional, but it wasn't as like uh, almost at the point of a of, of breakdown as it was I mean he you could feel that he kind of felt this uh, in his soul um it, it's interesting i guess the 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 most interesting part necessarily isn't barking back at Nick Saban because coaches have little tiffs here or there, but this is a guy in Jimbo Fisher who coached under Nick Saban for, for several years has, has said they have a friendship, has always praised what he's been able to do at Alabama and, and called him one of the, the, the best out there. And, and he completely, and, and his quote was we're done when asked, you know, did you contact, did you talk to Nick after he said that last night, he said, Nick's tried to reach out. I'm not talking to him. We're done. Um, And so for a coach to kind of say that with how tight-knit a lot of times the coaching community, that's kind of what stood out. And then plus you have all of the very um, pointed – comments about calling nick saban you know god and and the call, saying he walked on water calling him a narcissist uh saying if you lie or cheat when he grew up his old man would slap him upside the head and maybe someone should do that to him talking about nick saban so yeah there was the uh there was the the, the, uh, the plethora of one-liners but i think the interesting part actually to me was the fact that it does seem like there is an actual rift here and and that that Whatever relationship, friendship they might have had is is in essence over.
0: Yeah, you know, my whole thing was, you know, like you said, it, it was one thing when there was kind of this anonymous post by Sliced Bread on Pro, on Bro Bible, and then when Lane Kiffin made his comments, this is just next level though. When it's Nick Saban, I mean, he is the greatest coach of all time in college football, arguably. Yeah, and. that just seemed to hit home to Jimbo even further than, you know, whether it was Kiffin or somebody anonymously. Um, but yeah, I mean,
1: what 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 a well real quick let's let's kind of break down how we got here right for those who have not followed this soap opera from from day one uh, Texas A and M Jimbo Fisher signs according to two four seven sports the greatest recruiting class in in two four sports history they have two four seven sports history they have. Eight five stars, 14 four stars. It's the highest rated class. It's something AM hasn't achieved, and Alabama, though, has been doing. I think they surpassed the 2017 Alabama class, if I'm not mistaken, for that, that designation on the two for seven sports board. So everyone says it's one of the greatest classes of all time. Well, it's also the first year. NIL is really in play in the recruiting process. And when I say in play in the recruiting process, that's generalizing what NIL actually means. Of course, NIL is players getting compensation for name, image, and likeness, their their name, image, and likeness, uh, and that the Texas state legislature opened that up to uh, any college athlete, and and those rules are governed by uh, SB, SB, 30, uh 1328 I think uh, the, the 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 senate bill that that made NIL legal now as a part of that senate bill it said that universities can't uh, entice players to come to their programs by the promise of of NIL deals that is illegal according to state law why Jimbo Fisher, in some of those responses, was saying that Nick Saban was accusing them of of being criminal, in essence, because they were violating a, a Texas state law. Um, so, uh, Nick Saban, of course, last night, uh, talking to a bunch of donors, he says, and his quote was, I know the consequence is going to be difficult for people who are spending tons of money to get players, he said. You read about it, you know who they are. We were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, uh, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. And then Saban went on to say that they have not bought any players on their roster. So Jimbo then calls this impromptu press conference to again address, uh, what's going on there. So, uh, Alex, I know you asked me what, I mean, and you kind of talked about it. What, what, what stuck out, stood out to you too?
0: I'm just curious what the, what, what this will incur going forward. Okay. Cause I, I ran in a column on sports illustrated how, you know, there's kind of a there, there's been kind of like a gentleman's agreement, you know. Coaches will talk off the record of accusations of what you know teams do and schools do. Uh, they beat around the bush on the record. Jimbo's kind of done that at times, but th- you know he didn't make any pointed saying that Alabama did anything wrong. But I mean, this was about as candid on the record as you see from a coach. I'm just curious what exactly is going to come from this. Cause it's kind of like in John Wick 2 when John Wick goes up to uh Santino in the Continental Hotel and there's, you know, the truce, you can't kill anyone on Continental grounds and he just square kills him in the bar. And then all hell breaks loose in the third movie. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen, <laughs> but crazy. it kind of feels like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh let me clarify a few things here with Senate Bill 1385, the exact verbiage in that as far as um uh, trying to bring in recruits to the NIL is the quote the programs cannot provide or solicit a, 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 a prospective student athlete of an intercollegiate, intercollegiate athletic program at the institution with compensation in relation to the prospect student's name, uh, name, image, and likeness. Of course, too, and this isn't the case, we have to say that since this is a state legislative type situation. Uh, each state a lot of times has their own laws on the book, so it's not necessarily uniform on how name, image, and likeness works in Texas as opposed to Alabama. In fact, I think Alabama is in the process or just passed a law that enables uh, students to be able to work with the university on some of these, and maybe the university can help them get some of these deals. And in some places, even high school students can can get compensation for their name, image, and likeness. It's something that can't happen uh, in in Texas yet uh, as well. So that's a few little... Um, clarifications on that. Also, according to The Athletic, who did a, a, a story on The Fund, which is a <laughs> Texas A&M's collect, collective or a group of donors that kind of started a business to help manage the rights and and, and get NIL deals for some of these students, uh, that uh, according to some of the unnamed sources of that report, uh, they secured deals to several members of that 2022 recruiting class uh, to a figure that was in the low single-digit millions um, but they said they did it legally, which means they would have had to have done it after they signed with right. a m
0: Right. And, you know, what I found was interesting, uh, Stuart Mandel of The Athletic, if I can pull it up, he talked with an NIL attorney, the guy who uh, represented the quarterbacks committed to Tennessee, who's allegedly got this $8 million NIL deal. And, um, you know, he said in the quote, Having worked with AM's collective, everything Jimbo Fisher said is 100% correct and true. He didn't violate any bylaws if you keep the collective separate from the school. AM and the collective are just very good at what they do. You know, has AM made deals? Probably. I mean, clearly they have. They've got this collective together that works in the shadows and is making stuff happen. Uh, AM is one of the richest athletic departments in the country. You know, are there ways to work around it? Probably. And, you know, ANM might just be at the forefront of this. You know, we don't know the specifics. Did they go into anything wrong? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but it, it's just very interesting how pointed some of these things are and, you know, just kind of the inner workings being so kind of mystique and kind of novel right now. It's
1: interesting, too, because the the point that Nick Saban was actually trying to make in his full quote when he was really talking about NIL and just happened to have this aside about A&M was the fact that there there needs to be uniformity. There needs to be some kind of federal law passed or um, the NCAA needs to come through with full regulations that says uh, you, you can't induce uh, players to come, you can't, you know, so that that some schools can help their their athletes uh, provide uh, nil deals. Some can't. There, there just needs to be uniformity overall, and it's the same concept that Jimbo Fisher has said. Right, it's just that Nick Saban put that into place, and and so I, I do think that. They have a point there. They they do need to have some kind of federal legislation. And according to multiple reports, uh, Greg Sankey and uh, some, several other Mark Emmert from the NCA has gone to Washington to try to lobby Congress into getting into this realm and uh, not to get too too political on the MyAg Nation podcast. But when they started looking at some of these NIL deals, it was one of the few bipartisan issues that was happening in Washington at the time. Now the the details of of how to do that had some partisan aspects to it, but you would think that this would be a pretty bipartisan slam dunk moving forward. It's just inter- going to be interesting to see if the, if the federal government is going to allow the NCAA to have some of these antitrust um, uh, 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 appeasements and, 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 and some antitrust leeway that, like, for instance, the NFL and some of the pro sports teams do, um, or if you're going to move in a sense towards what Nick Saban was saying and you have to pay players. They're going to be employees of the university and it is going to be a pay for play situation. And, or will you let the players unionize and uh, let them collectively bargain for what their compensation is going to be. Because that's the difference between um, the NFL and the NCAA. What's going around there is because the NFL is able to collectively bargain uh, with the NFL and, and pr- present a, a working negotiation. Whereas uh, NCAA athletes, they can't collectively bargain. They can't work this out. So it's the Wild West. You can't have something like a salary cap um, in in the NCAA. and something that Jimbo Fisher brought up at the Houston Touchdown Club. Right, yeah. Jimbo's been all for the regular. He said
0: that this morning that he's all for... Uniformity and trying to solve this out. He doesn't know exactly what the solution is. He says, but he he says he's for it. You know, and you know what's interesting too is like you know Saban's talking at this charity event right mm-hmm. last night, probably probably with some bigwig Alabama donors, right? And so he's making the point that A and M's working in this different stratosphere that Alabama currently is not. Saban has been one of the most cutting edge coaches in the country for years now. That's why Alabama has been able to maintain their dominance for so long. You know, you think about the way that he was able to build the program and then the way it was innovated when he really went to the spread offense. I mean, Saban's old school, but he can learn new tricks pretty fast. And he's recognized that he's not top dog right now in some of these areas. and He's trying to figure out how he can, it seems.
1: Yeah, there's coaches. I mean, if you look at the college basketball realms, look at the Mike Krzyzewskis and and some of these coaches that retired and some of them, maybe not saying directly, but they just don't want to deal with this. And it kind of seems like, and, and Jimbo, to some extent, I think he understands how much and how important this is. And AM was very on the front lines of of getting some of this NIL, some of this collective stuff uh, up and running rolling, but you kind of get that feeling from some of these coaches that it's just it's just not something that they want to deal with.
0: Sure. And you know, you know, Jimbo might be one of them that doesn't want to deal with it hands on. And fortunately for him, in in the law, he can't be. So AM's got their ducks in a row in some regards, and it's it's a system to where, you know, Jimbo doesn't have to necessarily deal with that because AM's got all these other people who can. Yeah. And Stay within what what is what is regulated and what what is law right now?
1: Yeah. Here's one other issue, though, I do want to raise. And the fact that when you look back at that athletic article that talked about the fund Texas A&M's collective, who by what Stuart Mandel talked about with with that attorney he talked with and um, with with a lot of stories out there that say that they're on the cutting edge. They're, they are uh, a program that is doing this well and and, and doing it right. Um they they mentioned to Andy Staples in that article that they don't see the need to necessarily broadcast and, and advertise what they're doing. They're, they're doing this in the shadows. I mean, technically, in the story, the fund was in quotes. It's, it's not maybe what the name of the actual registered LLC is for that collective. They want to just do word of mouth deals and, and talk with the athletes directly and not advertise. And part of me goes... I mean, I get that. I mean, you talked to several people who were in the NIL space, and I actually asked the question of them okay, talking a little bit more about the contracts. So, contra- anytime a, a student athlete does an NIL deal, they have to do a contract with that, and that contract has to be turned over to the university per Texas state law. Um, to for this university to make sure that it follows all of the state laws and it's in compliance with everything. So they have those on record. My argument is those contracts need to be open record for journalists like you and me or anyone else to be able to open to see and, and be able to tabulate how many and how much these play, deals are doing and how much money these players are getting. So when a coach does come out and say, our entire offensive line is getting $4 billion, we can verify that. Uh, and so I, I went up to some of these people and asked them, so, so tell me the opposite side of this, because in, in my realm, in my world view, uh, of 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 scope, this this seems like a no brainer that you would want to do this. But why would the athletes? Why would you, as an NIL professional, not like them? They say, well, why would they have to disclose? Uh, pro football players don't have to disclose what their deals are and share their contracts, and there's a competitive advantage deal there. And I, but I, I and I get that. But but why in if now? NIL is legal. If these deals are legal, do you have to operate like you're under the table anymore? I think it would do AM a lot better in these situations where they were able to, uh, people are kind of making them the punching bag. If these collectives were working, if this collective is working a little bit more out in the open, if you knew the name, if you knew who some of the people were uh, behind it, and, and they were a little bit more in front of the camera talking about these things, because it, it, it takes away the, the conspiracy theory angle of being so cloak and dagger.
0: Yeah, you know, I certainly hear you on that. I, I mean, yes. I, What we do know about Jimbo is, though, the man likes to work in the dark. He He's the only one that talks uh, as far mm-hmm. as coaches go. He's not on social media. Um, his media appearances, that's about as much as you're going to hear from him, right? Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't necessarily surprise us that that's the way they're operating. And if you're A&M, you know... I, I see why they're doing that. you know it, the people who know need to know what's going on, they know. And A they just must feel like nobody else needs to know. and if and they if if they've got things going to where you know it's legal and that's that's you know working well and they're getting these guys, then you know, I, I just I don't see them changing that. And to me, them letting a guy like Andy Staples come to this event and talking to them semi-on-the-record, anonymously, background, kind of vague, is like, that was their way of saying like, hey, this is what we're doing. Like, we're doing it what we see as the right way. And I'm just, I don't know if they're gonna, I don't know if they're gonna, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm just saying that that seems to be the way that they're gonna go about it. Sure,
1: but I I think that's still a little too... Um, secret society esque the way that that worked out with no names on the record or anything like that. I I just part of me wonders why need you need to be so cloak and dagger if name image likeness if everything is uh, uh, legal now you you can do it out in the open why not do it out in the open so um, that is just my closing take on that anything that stuck out to you uh, from the press conference it was it was nine minutes of of vitrol and a, a lot of the repeated the same stuff.
0: Man, I mean, just very interesting, you know, like you said, Jimbo has just been so praising of Sabin and just respectful of him more so uh over the years. And, you know, Jimbo comes from one of the first families of football coaching, the Bowdens. right? Played for the Bowdens, coached under the Bowdens, uh, very much connected to them. Uh, you know, made it very clear. He learned a lot of things that he takes from them that he has implemented and then alluded to. There's other coaches that you don't take stuff from alluding to that being Saban, a guy that he coached under for several years and won a championship with just very interesting how this respectful friendship and relationship just now seems broken. I'm just curious if it's going to stay like that forever or if there will be a mending time, uh, They're also going to get to see each other here in a couple weeks. I was about to say, three
1: (laughs) three important dates. You have the spring meetings coming up in Destin here soon. You have the SEC media days in late July, which you got to think this will be a whirlwind on on those days. And then you have the October 8th uh, game in Tuscaloosa between the two, which Jimbo Fisher said will be... A lot of fun, won't it? Uh, well, I think that's all the time we have on that subject. We, we had previously scheduled a nice big podcast to talk about the A&M baseball team and one Kendall Rogers to join us. But then all this happened. So we might get Kendall's take a little bit on this and then talk a little bit A&M baseball as well. So up next, Kendall Rogers from D1Baseball.com. Welcome back to the My Aggie Nation podcast. Of course, I'm Travis Brown with Eagle over there, Alex Miller. But we have our special guest who was booked before Nick Saban <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher decided to have a title fight over the last 24 <laughs> hours to talk a little A&M baseball. It's Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. Kendall, how's it going?
3: It's going good. I'll, hey, I'll be okay as long as you don't call me a cheat. Uh, yeah, there
1: you go. Are, are you going <laughs> to slap someone upside the head like your old man? That's that's really exactly. what I want to know. So exactly. we'll start out with that little fun note. I know you tweeted uh, out there that uh, asking what's the college baseball equivalent to this kind of mm-hmm. heated coded coaches rivalry? What would you take from A, what what Jimbo and Nick had to say on the college football side and B, what, what what do you think is the the college baseball equivalent to that kind of rivalry now?
3: Well, this is like A&M beat right in Nirvana this week. You, you know, you have Jim Schlossnagle <laughs> last week uh, being like brutally honest about the RPI and about canceling games. Now you got Jimbo Fisher calling somebody, you know, basically a fraud and despicable. So a guy (laughs) that was like his friend. So uh, you're like living in Nirvana world right now. But, you know, I think when you look at college baseball, I mean, the, the only comparison I can think of right now, Uh, would be uh, Tony Vitello and Dave Van Horney. Those two went at it last year in Knoxville. We were all disappointed that they weren't on each other's schedules. Maybe they'll play in Hoover, but that's probably the best equivalent. Uh, You know, Mike Martin and Jim Morris back in the day was pretty heated. Those two did not like each other. It all kind of originated from, you know, uh, walkie-talkie gate, where if you remember, you know, Miami got caught in Tallahassee uh, signaling in the pitches with a walkie-talkie. And Mike Martin found out and they had bad blood, but you know, those two kind of patched up at the very end. So like Jimbo and, and Sabin are kind of going the opposite direction. They're not patching up at the end. They're, they're deciding to be uh, mortal enemies at the end. So I kind of like
1: it. Yeah. It's done it's done between those two. So we'll, we'll shift gears. We'll go into, you know, the the stuff that you're, you're here for. And that is A&M baseball team. You were here, I know for the Arkansas series, Uh, of course, keep, keep uh, a pulse on the A&M baseball team. What's your take on this squad? Because it's been a, it's been a pretty interesting season in Jim Schlossnagel's first uh, first year at the helm.
3: It really has. And I think this is a team that if you look back at the, you know, the Fordham series, that if you remember was a struggle, the Penn series, which they lost, was a struggle. Uh, if you would have told me it, the Frisco weekend was a disaster, and so had you, if you could tell me back then that this team would be, you know, top six, top seven in the country, I probably would have thought you were on something. And, and that's a testament to this team. Uh, they kind of stuck with the plan. They they stayed bought in. And as the season's progressed, you've had guys like Austin Bow step up. Ryan Targott has stepped up. Uh, Trevor Werner's finally healthy again. You know, remember, Travis, this was a team that um, the two months ago, everybody kind of thought, you know, once Trevor Werner went down, oh, well, the season's over. Now he's just kind of like one of the guys because of Dylan Rock and company. So I still think this is an AM team that, you know, is very offensive. I think this is an AM team that, strangely enough, as we look ahead to the postseason – is still finding its footing from a pitching standpoint, but you're seeing signs of the pitching getting better. Uh, you know, Will Johnson, uh, I thought, came came into the game against uh, Mississippi State and pitched pretty well in a big, you know, in a kind of a high leverage situation. Chris Cortez in a high leverage situation actually had the changeup going for once. He's typically all fastball. And, you know, they've had other guys, Robert Hogan and a few others. So they're going to need those guys to step up, but this is a, a team that offensively, has certainly gotten much better in season progress pitching wise. It's been a slow slog through the mud, but they're getting a little bit better uh, each weekend.
1: Yeah. Pitching is exactly kind of what I want to get into a little bit there on, uh, this AM team because I mean, they can hit the cover off the ball, but that pitching has been a little bit inconsistent. And so, you know, as, as a might look to mm-hmm. the postseason and look to, um, SEC tournament, even this series, they, they've only swept one series this year and had three, one mm-hmm. series where there's been three good pitching uh, uh, performances. How important is finding a third, of fourth starter and having that consistency in the bullpen at this point in the season?
3: Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, how about just finding a second starter? I mean, this is a team that outside of Nathan Detmer has had issues. And I think it, it all boils down to, Uh, They got to get Micah Dallas right. And, you know, I'm a little concerned about him because I was watching a little bit of the game against Mississippi State when he came in and, you know, Schloss had a quick trigger with him. And I know why he did, because if you remember, if you watch that, which I know you do at the games, you will kind of watch out to the side, like the body language just was not good. Like he looked like a guy that was a little scared, a little timid, was not confident. And for them to, I okay, can I think reach kind of their their goal at this point, which their goal at this point, frankly, is a top sixteen. Top sixteen. Like their goal, as strange as it sounds, is like getting to Omaha. Like this is a team that at this point their expectation is Omaha. I get they've overachieved, but if you don't get to Omaha at this point, uh, it, it's you know it's, I would say a failure is not the right word, but it hasn't been the season that it, that it could have been leading up to the postseason. So they just need him they need him more than anybody to step up because he's a leader, he's a veteran, and uh you know, he just needs to get his get his mind right, so to speak.
1: Yeah, Micah Dallas again in that one appearance came in for one batter, spiked four pitches right into the ground. He hasn't been yeah, doing his normal good pringles dancing leading the crowd stuff he's he's been uh he's been a little bit uh, uh off to the shadows
0: yeah you know even though a kind of had up and down time with some of their pitchers you know they've still been able to string together some impressive wins you know kendall what's been maybe the most impressive series or game even that a&m's been able to take uh, throughout this run over the last six weeks or so
3: you know, I go back to uh, you know, somebody, most people would say the Arkansas series, but I kind of go back to early on in conference and LSU series. I think that's kind of the weekend that I felt like A and M started thinking, you know what, like we've got a chance to be pretty good. You know, I was actually just talking to Jay Johnson the other day, the head coach at LSU, and he was kind of telling me, he's like, outside of all the teams we played, like I actually think AM is the most impressive team we played. And that actually kind of surprised me because I mean, I wouldn't have said that. And so to hear him say that kind of struck a chord with me. But if you look back at that weekend, they got big pitches when they needed it. Uh, if, I, if I remember right, Moon came in and actually had a really big relief outing mm-hmm. against them. Uh, and they obviously knocked the cover off the ball that weekend. So I would say out of all the weekends, the LSU series on the road is the weekend that you're kind of like, whoa, like this team has a chance to be pretty good. And let's not forget, they, they should have swept that series. Like they had tons of opportunities late in that final game to sweep that series. So for me, it's that weekend.
0: Yeah. And, you know, n- neither me or Travis probably would have expected a was would be playing for the SEC West crown. I don't know if you would have at that yeah, point, but, no, you know, no. considering <laughs> that they're in this position now, you know, what would it mean for the a baseball program to, to get the SEC West crown, something they haven't done before. And also just in Schlossnagel's first season here.
3: It is kind of crazy to think about that. I mean, they didn't they did win the SEC crown the, the year that they got to the Super and were a top eight national seed?
1: Uh, no, they were not not the West. I believe that the highest they've oh, gotten wow. is second, okay. if, if I'm not mistaken. They won the tournament wow, thought, in 16. Yeah, they yeah, won, they the, won tournament. the tournament.
3: They must have finished behind, like, Arkansas or yeah. somebody. But, yeah, that's crazy. I, I thought they won the West that year. But, I mean, to win the West with this team, whenever that team couldn't do it, uh, would be ultra impressive. Um, you know, the thing about it, was kind of funny is, like on one hand, for Jim Schlossnagel, like you you love this group and you love the fact they're setting the foundation. But on the other, you're going into year two and year three with like, hey, we just won the SEC West. Like that is the expectation. So you're kind of setting a really high bar for what your tenure needs to be. But I mean, I, I think they embrace it. I mean, if you look at if you look at their coaching staff, you know, Nate Yeske won a national championship at Oregon State. Nolan Cade won a national championship at LSU as, as a as a uh, reliever. Uh, and Mike Early, you know, developed Gage Workman, Spencer Torkelson, all those guys at Arizona State. So I think those guys embrace the, the expectations. But this is an a program that you know, has gone from, you know, what I what I would consider before the transfer portal to be a, a massive rebuilding job to an a program that now people expect you to be in the hunt in the in the SEC West. And there's no reason why, with a resources, why they should not be in the hunt for number one in the SEC West every year. I'm not saying they should win it, and I'm not saying they should get to Omaha every year. That's absolutely ridiculous. But they should definitely be in the discussion.
1: Yeah, it's the first time AM has been atop the SEC West ranking since uh, 2018 when they went to that final game. Uh, they needed, they, they, the, uh, the, th- Miss, or excuse me Arkansas beat Old Miss, Ole Miss right? and then Mississippi yeah. State beat AM to give Arkansas right. the crown so it was uh it's been a few, it's been right. a little bit since AM has has kind of been in this position so I, I want to take a little bit of an aside and, and talk a little bit about what we opened the program with a little and that is Jim Schlossnakel's comments last week where he kind of said the quiet part out loud saying that they were going to cancel mm-hmm. that incarnate word game it was mutually canceled but they were doing it because it it, it hurt their RPI no matter what happened in that game um and and we've seen this rash and this, this widespread cancellation since that's happened. Uh, what is your take on that? What, How does that affect baseball? I know you tweeted on your podcast, you were saying that this is something that's probably going to be looked at uh, by the committee moving forward. But but what is, has what is RPI done to baseball right now and what's the fix?
3: The thing that's really interesting is, and I'm trying to think back to a year where I've looked at the RPI and noticed that a team... This late in the season's dropping seven spots from playing from like losing one game. And if you look back at the South Carolina mm-hmm. series, and I think I think Jim a little bit pressed the panic button after that weekend because they lost that one game to South Carolina. They dropped like eight spots in the RPI. And honestly, frankly, I've never seen that before. Like I've never seen so many teams around the country. You know, I was looking, you know, I'd have to go back and look, but there were there were teams last weekend that were up eight spots, down nine spots, you know, up ten, down eleven. Like this late in the year, and like that just shouldn't happen. I don't. I don't ever notice it happening in the past, and so I, I think it's a product of the RPI. The, the thing I look about when it comes to look at when it comes to the gym and Mike Bianco at Ole Miss canceling a game against Arkansas State, Virginia canceling uh, what was it Mount St. Mary's or something. My take on it is kind of like hate the don't hate the player, hate the game. And the reason why they're doing this is because of the system. And I do expect the committee to deal with it. I don't expect the committee to look at like A and M or Virginia or Ole Miss and go, you know what? We're going to keep Ole Miss out of the tournament. We're going to keep A and M out of the top eight because they canceled a single game against UIW. I don't think it's going to happen. But I think what the committee is going to do is say, hey, we need to put in safeguards that protects these teams that they were supposed to play. And so my expectation is going in the next year, and I know that I know the committee is going to discuss it. I've already been told that. But my hunch is they're going to put in a system to where you can drop, let's say, your top three or four worst RPI games from your resume. So this becomes a totally uh, moot issue and it solves two different things. I, I kind of like this. And so you, you don't have the RPI game count against you if you're A&M and guess what it does. If it's, if it's your worst RPI game, guess what it does. It allows Jim to actually go pitch some guys who otherwise would never pitch and because it's a, it's like a just a, you know, you just throw away the game. So it actually allows you to use some kids that otherwise you would never use, and it also gives a, you know, an opportunity for the UIW's, the Tarletons of the world, to actually play A&M Texas. Because what you don't want, you don't want the committee to hold it against a team like A&M or Ole Miss. Because what's going to happen is, if you're Jim Schlossnagel, I mean, and Tarleton wants to play you next year, or UIW wants to play you, you're telling Ryan Schatzberger like, I'm not playing you. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I? Why would I play you? I'll go play. Same Houston and Huntsville or something. So you know, You also don't want that if you're the NCA. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I mean, you talk about guys as as former catcher. You get your catchers off his knees for another game or two or something like that. Can throw another guy yeah. in, develop some catchers. So that that. Yeah, we put awesome.
3: guys like Travis Brown in there to play a game.
1: Uh, I mean, that
3: <laughs> would not happen. Never.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Kendall, looking at this weekend, what a M's got against Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss certainly a team that's kind of surging. What are you kind of seeing from the Rebels right now?
3: i tell you what, I think it's going to be a great series. I actually ended up picking A&M. I kind of went back and forth. I just think, I, I think A&M is one of those teams that's been ultra consistent. I think Ole Miss is one of those teams who, into the last two weeks, has been uh, inconsistent. And there's no doubt they played really well against Missouri. They played really well against LSU. But I just have a weird feeling that LSU is just not in a very good spot right now. I think they caught LSU the right weekend. But when you look at Ole Miss overall, the big key for them offensively uh, they're getting bigger hits in bigger close situations. Uh, Kevin Graham, you know, who's hurt for much of the year is back in that lineup. He gives them a veteran presence. A lot of it bats throughout his career. He's got a powerful presence in the lineup. And I think you look at the pitching staff as, as a totally different unit too. You know, early in the year, John Gaddis, who's now a bullpen piece, you know, was in a Friday role. They had uh, you know Derek Diamond in the in the Saturday role. They've kind of shifted things a little bit. Dylan has moved from the bullpen to the Friday role, been really good for them. Uh, and then Hunter Elliott in the number two spot has been pretty good within Brandon Johnson on the back end. So they've solved some of their pitching issues. It's still it's, it's like AM. They're still not like surefire pitching-wise, but they're they're better than they were two months ago. And then offensively getting Kevin Graham back has been huge for them.
0: So here's the question that I think all Aggies want to know. Has a done enough to host? And what's it going to take for a mm-hmm. to be a national seed?
1: Kindle, keep, yeah. <laughs> keep me in my own bed. Let's go. Do what? So keep me in my own bed. Let's go.
3: There we go. Well, speaking of speaking of uh, Jimbo and Saban, maybe we can get Schloss versus down during <laughs> college station. <laughs> there you go. Um, sorry, Schloss. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just think when you look at a right now, so for hosting, I would say if they can win one this weekend and not just totally you know what the bed and Hoover, I think they're a the to host. I think if they, if they lose a series this weekend, I think they probably need to win a couple of games in Hoover to, to be a top eight. But if they win that series this weekend, I, I mean, you're at 19 and 11 in the SEC Your RPI is probably 14 or 15 after a road series, one of our 30 RPI team. Uh, at that point, I, I mean, I feel very confident about their top eight chances. Cause at that point you're probably the SEC West champ by by tiebreaker with Arkansas.
1: Yeah, and, and you kind of look at at RPI where they are. I mean, yeah, they might. Right, you know, right now they're they're 19, but you got teams like Texas, Vanderbilt, uh, not Arkansas anymore, I don't believe. It's Georgia. But, yeah, I mean,
3: Arkansas is behind them in the pecking order. You know, the Texas Texas has a TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State problem. The problem they have right now is they're behind those teams in the conference standings, and they have a tough pathway to get ahead of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of head to head wins in RPI ahead of them. So it's it's it, like you said, it's a weird it's a weird RPI year. But uh, moving yeah. when you go into Hoover, when you go into the postseason, uh, I I know both when I talked to Jim Schlossengel, and when I talked to Michael Early, the, the exact quote they gave me is teams don't swing their way to Omaha, but but right now it seems like a and is swinging their way through the SEC. I, is this a team that, that could potentially swing their way to, to – what's the ceiling on on where they are if, if they're being carried by their offense?
3: Yeah, so if I'm being just dead honest with you, like I, I do think they're vulnerable in a regional. I think they're less vulnerable in a super because in a super, you know, if you're Jim and you get in the, a bind with the Saturday starter in a super – but well, you can just throw the kitchen sink at them because guess what? If you don't win the next day on Sunday, you're like, you're going home anyway. So you're just throwing the kitchen sink at them. Again, where that doesn't, you know, where that, where that approach doesn't work is in a regional. You can't just throw the kitchen sink at every game because then you run out of pitching. And so I, I think a is vulnerable in the regional. It all depends on who they get there. But uh, again, I, I, I mean, I, I look at this team overall and, they have continued continue to hit it. The other thing is that I think they have gotten better at is defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they still make some mistakes, but I mean, a couple, a couple months ago, I mean, this was a rough, rough defensive club. And I feel like they're at least making big defensive plays, uh, you know, at this point in the season. So, I mean, I can't I would like to say that I I think they would struggle in the regional, but man, I they've won what six, seven straight sec series. So it's kind of hard to doubt them at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, and and defense is a very good point because you also look at uh, how how would, how many teams would you say, would you put in this situation who heading into that LSU series had three of their starting infielders out with Trevor Warner, Ryan Targok and, and and Cly Harrison who still hasn't come back. And and Cole Kaler has been able to, to slot in pretty nicely there.
3: There's no doubt. I mean, all those guys have done a nice job and I, and I'll tell you what this kind of the underrated aspect of this team is kind of their, their, their toughness. Um, I kind of look back at, you know, the play that Jacob Polish had against South Carolina. We kind of had that brainless moment where he kind of threw the ball to home, but like air And what, I think South Carolina took the lead on that. Yeah. So that's when they retook they, the lead and, and that, that was the one run. where the ball, yeah.
1: he took it off the end of the bat and it rolled about five feet foul and somehow yes. like never seen that before
3: exactly and so like he makes that that massive error you know everybody's you know he's on the ground like oh man like really then what happens Bobby, any Brett, it goes up there hits that home run so that's just kind of how this team is and when you have that kind of culture i mean you you know as well as anybody being on that being on a good team uh that matters that matters a lot
1: yeah yeah we're good to go kendall thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time and that 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 five-tool backdrop that you have there of TD Ameritrade, like right?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Very good. Well, Kendall, uh, before we go, tell everyone where they can reach you and, and, and get your get to your stuff.
3: Yeah, you can go to uh, just at Kendall Rogers on uh, Twitter and at D1Baseball on uh, Twitter as well. I, won't, I will not call anyone
1: despicable I promise and <laughs> will not slap anyone upside <laughs> the head so uh, again thanks so much for Kendall Rogers thanks so much for y'all for joining us for another episode of the My Aggie Nation podcast for Alex Miller I'm Travis Brown and we'll see you next week
0: it seems like every day everything just has a way a way to must have seems. but if we don't watch what we're doing our hearts will get ruined by silly things Good love ain't needs a girl, we know that's true. And if we wanna keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do. yeah, yeah. I wanna make sure, my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. But I wanna make sure that we'll be all
1: that we can be, all that we can be.